Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with MSW Media. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. I am so excited. Today, I am going to talk to DNC Chair Jamie Harrison. We're going to talk about Democratic messaging, how Democrats are going to win in 2022, and so much more. But before we get into our conversation, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with DNC Chair Jamie Harrison. Welcome to the podcast, Chair Harrison. Well, thank you for having me, Kimberly. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. And I have to tell you, I'm a little nervous. Uh, not oh. so much, not, <laughs> not because of you, but because I feel like democracy is hanging by a thread. And even though my little podcast is just a drop in the bucket, I take this very, very seriously. I feel like the pressure of the world is on my back. And I can only imagine what you must be feeling, uh, you know, with life as a DNC chair. So, again, thank you for being my guest. I'm truly honored. And before we get going, I want to fill everybody in on why you're here in the first place, because I I don't remember the date and I didn't save the tweet. But as I usually do, I was freaking out one morning about democracy and I tagged you and the Democrats and I don't remember who else in a tweet or I I think I just said, you know, it's like the Democrats are up against fascism and white supremacy and uh, I can't re- I can't re- exactly remember what I said, but I felt like democratic messaging needed to be stronger. And I wrote the words TikTok, which did make some people angry. And I just want to clarify that when I wrote TikTok, it I just meant it as I felt like we don't have a lot of time. And yeah. it, it wasn't me pointing my finger at you, blaming you. It was I see you ha- having a lot of power. And I just wanted to appeal to you. So that's where, and you responded to that tweet so thoughtfully with a thread. And we're going to go over some of the things when when we get into it, uh, what you said. But you were very gracious, and I so appreciate it. And it led to this conversation. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I have a few questions about you. So the first question I have (laughs) is what made you a Democrat? No. Well, listen, I, I was raised in a house full of Democrats. Um, um, you know, my, my family wasn't really political. Um, and, you know, I, many people know my story. I, I was born to a teen mom, 16 when she had me, dropped out of school. Um, my grandparents helped raise me. They had a fourth grade and eighth grade education, hardworking people. Um, they voted Democratic. You know, mm-hmm. my grandparents didn't always have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so that's why I'm very, very passionate about uh, voting rights and that, and that issue. Um, but they voted Democrats because it was the Democratic Party that was always there to support them mm-hmm. in the greatest time of need. Many of the programs that we relied upon for safety nets were programs created by Democrats. Uh, and that anytime they ever had issues or problems, I remember when my grandma was trying to get her disability for the first time and she wrote to her Congress people and our Senator Fritz Hollings at, at that time 
and they were helpful to 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 her and to our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've always seen the Democratic Party as a party that wants to invest in all people uh, to make sure that every person, every family has the opportunity to live the American dream unencumbered. That means, you know, there are barriers and issues that come up in life. Uh, and it's the role of our representatives. It's the role of our government in order to try to eliminate those barriers so that people can live their, their dreams that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the Republican Party, I sort of feel like you're off on your own. Uh, they, they think everybody, you know, uh, can just pull themselves up with the bootstraps mm-hmm. and then everything happens magically. But, you know, people work hard and there's still issues and barriers that they have to face. Uh, and it's important that we try to knock that down to help people along the way. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And, you know, I'm wondering, in your tweet thread, you meant, there's a couple, like I said, we're going to touch on some of the things that you said specifically about Republicans having more money than Democrats. Um, But one of the things that you said is that what you guys are up against, Democrats specifically, are lies from the Republican Party and also the not-so-liberal news media. I mean, we saw where basically Biden and Trump had similar unemployment numbers, yet Trump was praised and Biden was criticized. And so we're up against so much. And it's really, it's really scary. And I mean, I I don't believe in in this podcast that I'm going to tell you anything you don't already know. So please know that going forward. I'm just kind of reiterating and, and being the voice of, you know, just myself as a voter and then other people who are, who are listening in and feel the way I do. Um, before also we get into some of these ideas that maybe some of us have and want to present to you or what you guys are doing, that's what I want to know. I want to know what Democrats are doing. I want you to talk about how Democrats are going to win 2020 and just, you know, talk to the voters out there who feel nervous. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I understand that people feel nervous. I'm nervous also. Mm-hmm. And, and we all should be um, because you're right. Democracy is on the line and that's not any exaggeration or just some election year hyperbole it that is the the case that we are seeing right now an unprecedented level of attacks on our constitutional rights our rights just to be right Mm -hmm. Uh, women's uh rights being attacked uh uh, across the country in many of these states and then you, you know we kick it to the courts which we often have referred to or has been in recent history there in order to to bring us back you know from from the cliff mm-hmm. and now you have these right-wing ideologues who are now populating uh, uh lifetime appointments on our courts yeah so it's a scary time right now uh in this country and we all should be scared and i hope uh that fear is also motivating uh, that we can't sit on our laurels, we can't sit back, the hand-wringing has to stop, and we have to turn that hand-wringing into action. We got to go out and, you know, continue to recruit the best candidates that we can. We got to make sure that we support those candidates. We got to register as many voters as we can. We got to educate voters on the issues and what's important. And then we got to turn them out. Mm-hmm. We have to turn them out. And I know it's in the face of suppression. It's in the face of Republicans trying to change the, the rules. But given all of that, we still can't sit back and say, oh, woe is me. Uh, what do we do next? We got to roll up our sleeves and do the work. Now, I'm putting a lot of pressure on the United States Senate, and I think we all are right, at this point, right? Yes. We know the House has acted. 
we know the president's ready to sign the bill. We just got to get a bill from the Senate. And so um, uh, that's where a lot of the action is at this point in time. But that doesn't mean that we sit back and just wait on that and not do mm -hmm. all of the other things that are so necessary to be prepared uh, for you know, probably the most important election of our life. What would you what advice do you have for voters out there who are obviously scared and worried and concerned? What you know, I, I see a lot of people complaining on Twitter. I'm absolutely one of them, um, but I do try to put my money where my mouth is. I you know, I, I phone bank, I donate, I promote. What can voters do? What's your advice to voters? Things that voters can do. First thing, if you are not involved with your local party, get involved with your local party. They need your help mm -hmm. because I can tell you local parties have small staffs. Many of them, uh, I mean, they don't get paid a whole lot and they rely heavily upon volunteers. Your efforts can make the difference. Uh, if you're retired or you got a lot of time on your hand, become a volunteer coordinator in, in a local party or your state party, because I can tell you they, you got good, make sure you got a good temperament now. Don't, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> everybody can't be a volunteer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you can, just find some way that you fit in and that you can help in the operation because state parties are the unicorns in our democratic process. Mm. Uh, uh, they, they are so unique because they are the only entity. Uh, even the DNC can't do some of the things that our state parties do that can uh, coordinate with their federal candidates. And that's the Senate and the house. Mm -hmm. uh, but they can also coordinate with their local candidates, uh, people running for, uh, city council and county council and state house and state senate i'm restricted what for what i can do with some state can, uh, campaigns because if they are not federal campaigns the dnc is a federal campaign committee um so i can't do certain things with some of our uh, folks running for state office mm -hmm. um I, I can't host fundraisers for some of those fo folks because they take different type of money than we take on a federal level mm -hmm. and so uh all of that falls on the state parties and they are the glue that really holds all this thing together. And they are, you know, they tend to be underfunded, understaffed, uh, and not very respected, mm -hmm. but if we can make our state parties stronger, um, and give them the capacity that is necessary, that's why Howard Dean's 50 state strategy was so magical. Mm -hmm. That's why mm -hmm. we, we are investing in our state parties. Now I've invested more money, in state parties than any uh, chair, including Howard, uh, ever. $23 million that we are, have uh, committed to our state parties over the next few years. Um, we've even created a red state fund to help our, our state parties that are in red states. Uh, it's an unprecedented amount of, of money that we're using to, and not a whole lot of strings attached to help them build the capacity uh, to have the technology that is necessary so that they can support their campaigns and their candidates. Well, that's great. Um, you mentioned to me in your thread when you answered my scared tweet, um, you said something about how, you know, the Republicans have more money specifically for advertising. Um, a listener mentioned or asked me to ask you, would it be possible if you can't afford to do the 30 second or 20 second, could you do like a 10 second ad? Is that possible? Because they can really pack a real punch. And I just want to add this. Um, you're probably familiar. 
But that Daisy ad by Lyndon Johnston in 1964 was a very effective ad campaign. And I'm going to read, this is from Wikipedia, just for my listeners who may not know. The commercial begins with a three-year-old girl standing in a meadow, picking at the petals of a daisy, as she counts from one to ten incorrectly. As she reaches nine, she pauses, and a booming male voice is heard, counting the numbers backwards from ten, in a manner similar to start the launch of a missile, like a countdown of that. And then it says, a zoom of the video still focuses on the girl's right eye, basically her pupil, and that's inside of the eye, we see a nuclear explosion. And so the, uh, the, the ad only aired one time, and it's considered one of the most important factors of Johnson's landslide victory over the Republican Party, uh, which was Barry Goldwater at the time. And, you know, something like I know that you're not in charge of all messaging. You're, you're limited to what you can do. <laughs> so I totally get that. But you are a powerful person and you have, you know, a lot of pull. And so what about Democrats buying, uh, is t- are 10-second ads doable? No. They're not. I mean, uh, TV stations only sell ads in 30 and one minute. Um, wow. Intervals. Interesting. Um, uh, and broadcast TV to, to advertise on broadcast is much more expensive than it is to advertise on cable, mm-hmm. right? So you can, you can you can definitely put up cable ads mm-hmm. part of the part of the thing that you also have to to understand in terms of tv ads is timing for ads when most people are paying attention to some of the ads now you know when it you know myself you and a lot of folks who are on twitter we are all news junkies we yes probably every single one of us watch msnbc <laughs> non-stop yeah. and, and, the, and the like well the vast majority of the American people aren't paying that right. close attention to what's going on at this point in time. And so many times the reason why you see parties spending money on TV ads, it tends to happen in the, starting in August. And then you start to see, you know, you wonder like, why do we get so many TV ads right at the last minute? And that's partly because of just when the American people start to pay attention to elections. They, yeah. They're not paying attention to and I, I know it's hard to hard to comprehend how people aren't, but they're not. They're mm-hmm. not paying attention I know. the vast majority of folks at this point in time. And so to to put millions of dollars on TV ads right now, um, when I can put that money into building the operations on the ground and mm-hmm. the voter protection staff and doing the voter registration, like it, you you know you get a limited amount of money and you have to you have to wait what's the most how is what is the best way to utilize this money that i have at this point in time Mm -hmm. to get the biggest bang for the buck one of the things that is important i want folks to understand this is that messaging is really important that means doing the tv ads and the digital ads and all that that's important but also having the organ organization on the ground is almost as equally important Mm -hmm. um and I can say that as somebody who raised $130 million for a campaign. And, you know, I had kids here in South Carolina still can repeat my TV ads uh, that were on YouTube and everything else verbatim because they we were relentless in terms of it. the problem that we didn't have is that we didn't do the organizing on the ground because mm. of COVID. You know, we didn't do right. the door knocking and all of the other stuff that is also necessary. 
So it's important that folks to understand that you can't just have one without mm -hmm. the other. You got to have both. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been trying to do at, at the DNC, which is not, you know, not very sexy. It ain't <laughs> the thing that is getting everybody uh, riled up. But for months now, we've been putting bodies on the ground, starting to do organizing in some of our battleground states. Again, it's not getting a whole lot of headlines, mm -hmm. but I can tell you what, in the end of the day, when these races, if you look at the races that we lost in the House in 2020, many of them less than 10 or 15,000 votes, that's having a number of organizers on the ground. And if we had those, yeah. uh, we would have pulled those out. And so what I've been trying to do is to make sure those organizers are on the ground now, a mm -hmm. year before the election, so that they can build a relationship, so that they can knock on the doors, they can meet the, the power brokers in those communities, so that we can then distribute the information and the messages and all that uh, to do the voter registration. And so that's what we've been focusing early on, is spending the money on building an organization uh, on the ground to help uh, our candidates and campaigns. Because, you know, many of our candidates also, Kimberly, we won't get candidates in some of these states until August. Right. They're late primaries. And if those folks don't become candidates until August, then who's going to build the organization on the ground yeah. in those states in order to get the votes out in the end? August is too late to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that 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 weight has fallen on the state parties, has fallen on the DNC and the DTRIP and the DS. And so that's where we've been spending a lot of time and a lot of our energy and a lot of our money. Um, and yes, we will start to ramp up the TV ads. We will start to ramp up the radio ads and all. Uh, and I wish we could do it right now. Yeah. But in the end of the day, I have to I have to weigh what's more important at this juncture. Um, and it's really making sure that we have that infrastructure to do the boots on the ground, because that's part of the reason why we lost um, the last time, because of COVID, and mm -hmm. we didn't have the, the type of operation on the ground that, that is so necessary to win these very close races. Well, I'd like to kind of bring up the idea, when once you start getting into ads and you start getting into messaging, um, you know, when I was young, obviously, and you know this, there, half the country doesn't vote, as you said. And so, like, when I think in terms of democratic strategy and messaging, I always think, you know, if we could just get a small portion of those people over on our side, we would be mm -hmm. able to have, you know, endless landslides. Um, because when people are informed, and unfortunately, people aren't informed. And I was a really perfect example of, of you know, your typical American, where I grew up in Southern California. I spent some of my time on the East Coast, and I've got to say the East Coast schools were better. I had uh, social studies. I, I don't remember ha taking civics. I never took it in California. And because I had a decent education, but certainly not the kind of education that I could have gotten on the East Coast, um, you know, I was not politically interested as a young person. In fact, I wrote a book called American Woman, um, you know, pulled the pole dance women in voting just because I wanted to write it for my younger self who was just not, you know, I was, I was going to parties. I was an actor. I cared about guys. I really wasn't paying attention, even though my mother pretty much has always been a political junkie and she's my best friend still didn't matter. But I will tell you, you know, as I got older, I slowly started paying. I did vote for Bill Clinton, and that was, you know, I think I, God, I can't remember how old I was, but it was in my early 20s. And I did vote every year. 
but I yep. kind of didn't know really. I, I would listen to my mom because she's a staunch Democrat, and I was always a Democrat and a very liberal thinker. Um, I would basically follow her advice. And then, you know, I started watching certain political programs like Bill Maher. I started watching Rachel Maddow. But I will tell you, the thing that made me become a political junkie, it was in 2008, and it was not Obama, who was incredibly charismatic, such an amazing orator, just such an amazing human being. What got me to be a political junkie was Sarah Palin because she scared the you-know-what out of me. <laughs> when I remember watching the... Repo- I, don't, I, I, mean, I was enough into politics that I was watching the RNC, and they introduced her, and I was f- literally like freaking out, thinking, oh, my God, this woman. And so after you know the show was over, I ran to my computer, and I started Googling her, looking like there's got to be some kind of crazy dirt on this woman. She can absolutely not be the vice president of the United States, and we all know what happened with her. Um, but I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that what motivated me to go to the polls was fear and anger. Uh, yeah. You know, not not Obama. I mean, I would have voted for Obama because I was already going to vote. But what got me interested in politics was her. And it's because she was so awful and not bright. And now we've got this whole party that's beyond worse than her. And the one thing I want to ask you about now is just I'm going to go through a couple of things that I've co- uh, collected about messaging. And we all know that the Republican Party loves t- to pull out CRT, critical race theory, before elections. And I'm already seeing a little bit about, you know, a little bit about that here, a little bit about that. We're going to see a lot of it in the summertime. What can, what do you say that Democrats can, because I think we need to go take a little you know cue from the republicans and hit certain um subjects whether you know it has to do with lgbtq or women or people of color whatever it is we have our own crt but it's honest and it's truthful and it scares the you know what out of voters i mean do you have is that part of the plan yeah so this this is what I, I, I'd like to tell people about messaging and why you know you often hear from a lot of folks, well there needs to be one unified democratic message. Uh, why why is it easy for the Republicans to have a message and all? One I think folks need to understand that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are two very different. Parties. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party is monolithic. Mm-hmm. Just take a look at the House Republican Conference. Look at them. Demographically, look at them. They all look the same, right? Uh, Pretty much. I mean, it it is 99%, uh, you know, white voters, uh, you know, sort of country club style Mm -hmm. folks. I mean, they are are pretty much monolithic as a party. Now, look at the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party looks like America. Mm -hmm. It is diverse, extremely diverse. We come from all parts of the country. We come from different backgrounds, different religions, uh, different gender identities and sexual orientations, uh, uh, you know, different religious backgrounds. And we all come together in this sort of commonality. Now, a message, try to come up with a message that is unifying with all of that diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, diversity is our greatest strength, but it also comes with some interesting dynamics. And sometimes the things that I prioritize, I'm a black man from uh, South Carolina, mm-hmm. right? Grew up in rural South Carolina. 
Well, what is a priority for me may be very different from, say, a white woman from, you know, Seattle, Washington, uh-huh. right? Um, we may still be Democrats, but what I prioritize as my top issue may be very different from what she prioritizes as her top issue. And so what we have to do as a party is we have to come up with a message uh, that it is that is expansive enough for all of us so that we all fit under it, uh-huh. but also flexible enough for on an individual basis based on our communities to come up with what is the priority for them. So I often say that, you know, part of the umbrella message that we need in 2022 is that Democrats deliver. And I can talk about in California, you talk about delivering certain things. In South Carolina, we can talk about uh, Uh delivering certain things. It keeps us all together in terms of the umbrella, but it also allows us to be flexible enough to make sure that we fine-tune messages that fit the various communities that we have within our party. Now, we also have to understand that elections are also emotional things. You know, oftentimes you will hear in Democratic circles, they say, I just don't understand why people vote against their own self-interest. Like, how many times have you heard Mm -hmm. that, right? It's a constant refrain in Democratic Party politics. And I often tell, ask people, if you had to define where things live in your body, where do interests live? Is it, is it a product of the head? Is it a product of the heart, a product of the gut? Where do they live? Interests live in your head, right? Because you're saying, I don't understand rationally what you are doing does not make sense. Well, this is the thing that we have to understand as a party. People don't make decisions on voting based on solely what's going on in their head. Mm-hmm. It is what is going on in their hearts and what's going on in their guts. Mm-hmm. So meaning that voting is a much more, instead of a rational decision, is a much more emotional decision mm-hmm. that people make. Yes. And so why Republicans do well is because their messaging is, one, monolithic, and they're talking to a, a, a one group, but also it is emotional. And most of the time, the emotion that they they love is fear, mm-hmm. fear of the unknown, fear of the other, fear of the different. Um, but Democrats can't be afraid to also get emotional. And I think you are right in that, that we need to make sure that our messages are anchored also in emotion. The, the emotion that mostly gets Democrats uh, historically, uh, and that's just not to say because we're diverse, but historically, it is the emotion of hope. The thing about aspiration, that things can get better, are better, and for, for all of us. I think we need to make sure that the message that we have, one, is a hopeful one. But also, I, I think your point is a valiant one, that we, can't, we cannot rule out fear as one of the emotions that we need to have in our messaging. Because we need to be fearful of what will happen if Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker oh, of the yeah. House, or even worse, Jim Jordan becomes Speaker of the House, uh, that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene becomes a subcommittee chair of something, if we lose the United States Senate, because things will fundamentally change in this country if you give these type of demagogues mm-hmm. control over aspects of our government. So yes, we have to be hopeful, and I think a message that we, and this is what I'm pushing as DNC chair, it's, yes, we need a hopeful, aspirational message because people are tired of COVID. People want to know that things are going to be better down the road. But people also need to be cognizant that, that things could get far worse if we don't make the right decisions uh, uh, this November. And so 
So I, uh, sorry to talk that through, but I, I wanted people to understand why is it so easy for the Republicans to come up with something that is, you know, just one and defining. It's a little more difficult for us. That's not to say it's impossible, but it, it, it's part of the challenge that we bear uh, as a party that reflects the diversity of this great nation. Well, I absolutely agree with you, and I think it's extremely important for Democrats. Like I noticed in 2014, there were. I'm not going to go through all the names and all that, but there were certain Democrats who, in red states, who absolutely refused to talk about the ACA. They absolutely refused to talk about the accomplishments of Obama. And I think because they were Democrats in red states, they were afraid to address that to their red state voters, even the Democratic ones. And I do think it's important, and one of my criticisms of that was that they were not you know, offering hope or offering the positives of what Democrats deliver. And I think it's extremely important. But, and I 100% agree with you, that we are this huge tent. We all think we know better than the other. And like you said, each one of us, <laughs> has, and I know it, I get it, uh, we, all, we all have our pet issues. Um, but I just, I would like to say that, you know, what, I, I want to reiterate that fear and anger motivates us to the polls. And we have Okay, granted, in 2018, you know, the his history shows us that if we have, like, a, a Republican president, then the midterms are going to go in the opposite direction. Well, of course we saw that in 2018. But I will say that the difference between the turnout in 2014, which was historically low in 80 years specifically for Democratic voters, compared to the general election turnout in 2018, that was motivated mostly by fear and anger because of Donald Trump. Now, he's not there yeah. anymore, um, but he was definitely a motivator. And I will tell you that when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I mean, obviously, the entire nation, who I would say the same part of our nation was upset, um, but the day that Mitt Romney said, okay, let's go ahead and do the confirmations for Amy Coney Barrett, I actually did a podcast that day, and... After my, you know, after I said goodbye to my guest, I sobbed. I sobbed on the show uncontrollably, not planned. It just happened because I was so afraid I was going to lose my health care. And I think, you yep. know, like you said, there are certain issues, but there's, I think there's certain, I'm going to, I'm going to name, I'm going to go through a list of a couple of articles. I mean, obviously there's, they want to privatize social security and they want to kill the ACA. A friend of mine who was a conservative woman in her 70s in 2020 posted who all her friends are conservative she posted on her facebook feed you know saying that uh republicans wanted to get rid of social security and that is an issue that's very close they care you know older people care about that older people sick people care about medicaid You've got obviously marriage equality, and I, I actually list. I, I I asked my listeners and people on Twitter what scares you, what makes you angry about the Republican Party. I got answers like social social security, Medicare, gay marriage. I I mostly worry that my vote won't count. Um, somebody just said I'm afraid because I'm black, and that's all they said. Um, I'm afraid that my daughter will lose the right to choose. My Hispanic children will lose the right to vote. I survive on Social Security. I'm afraid I'm going to become homeless. Um, these are the kinds of things that I know, you know, I mean, my mother is in her 70s. She's worried about her health, you know, what's going to happen to her health. So it's like I've, I've got a couple of articles here and headlines. Like, for instance, 
like this is what I would like to see. So I'm just going to tell you what I would like to see from the Democrats. Well, what, and, and Kimberly, before you go into list, one of the things that I would say also, uh, and and you know, we're we're working really hard. Mm-hmm. The thing that I tell my staff each and every day. Everything that we do, we need to think about it. Does it make, help the Democratic Party move the ball forward going into this into this election? Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I see on Twitter, which which gets me a bit frustrated, or on other social media, is that we get so caught up in beating the crap out of each other mm-hmm. that we lose focus on that the contest is not between progressives and conservatives in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. The contest has to be between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Yes. So it, so we got to be mindful of the things that we say to each other, the mm-hmm. way that we treat each other, the, the fights that we have with each other, because we can't be fighting at this point in time. Because if somebody who finally decides to turn on and focus on this if all they're seeing is the infighting with the party well you we're not doing this or we're not doing that you didn't keep your then then folks we have made progress have we totally done all the things that we want to do it's hell it's been one year i know it is one year we need to stop thinking that we can i mean in this one year joe biden has probably accomplished more Mm -hmm. than than most presidents have in four years totally agree let's Let's celebrate what we have gotten done. That's not to say that we don't want to get more done, mm-hmm. but let's celebrate what that is so that people can feel good about it because it's about the feeling that we got going into the midterm. Yeah. If all we're talking about, well, well, he didn't pass this and he didn't pass this and he didn't pass that, then, you know, the average person says, well, hell, well, why did I need to go vote if nothing's gotten done? Right. When we know the reality is that so much has gotten done. So we just got to be mindful of, of the tenor, the, the, uh, how we how we conduct ourselves on things because people are watching mm-hmm. and people are taking messages from that. Um, and again, we, we got a lot more work to do, um, but we will only get any of this work done if we get to we keep our majorities in the House and the Senate. And I totally agree with you. And I'm certainly guilty of taking on a snarky, sarcastic tone on Twitter with people on the other side. Um, you know, I've I've done it, um, and I've also I, I, I try not, like, I, I'm being mindful about what I say about the Democratic Party. But on the other hand, there are a lot of us who are very, cons- you know, we're coming from a fearful place. We're coming from a place of concern oh, yeah. that we're going to lose our democracy. And, and going back to this CRT thing that we're going to hear from Republicans just endlessly. Um, now, what we say about Republican, like you said, the Republican Party, one of the things that, you know, here's a headline. The state senator, Steve Huffman from Ohio, said if colored pop that colored population are more likely to get COVID because of poor hygiene. Now, he was a state senator. This was, uh, I think, from, I don't know, it was last year. Obviously, it was 2020. Or not last year, year before last. Um, not everybody knows about that. Now, that's not the biggest thing. Like, here, here's another one. Um, Rolling Stone just put out an article. Because of the barbaric abortion law in Texas and because of the bounties on the heads of people who have abortion, there have been 3,079 rapes in the last three months. And, and it's like what I would like to see from, and, and this is not a bash, it's just a request um, from the yeah, Democratic yeah. Party, is 
I would like to see you guys pounding what they want to do and what they want to take away from us. Because as much as we need to feel hope for what Democrats are delivering and will deliver when we get a bigger majority, um, we also need to know what's going to be taken away. Because I go back to that 20-something-year-old version of myself, and all day long you could have told me what was great about the Democrats, and I wouldn't have cared. And as soon as you told me, well, you're not going to have the right to abortion, you're not going to be able to do, you're not going to have your health care, whatever it is. Oh, that would have gotten my attention. And, you know, I mean, just, this is, it sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous. But Ken Cuccinelli used to be uh, the attorney general in Virginia. And he tried to Virginia, out, yeah, in Virginia, he tried to outlaw sodomy. And when, when nobody would pass this law, he went to the Virginia Supreme Court, and of course they laughed him out of court. But the point of all of this is he went on to become Trump's deputy, de- deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. And so if the Republicans gain control, you know, we, it's like I want people to understand what they're going to lose because I don't think enough people fully understand that. And, you yeah. know, as you see, yeah, and that, so that's just the main point I wanted to make because I feel like so many of us are going to lose. I used to live in Russia. I lived in Soviet Russia when I was 12 years old. So I have the benefit of seeing what it's like to be in a country that's not an American democracy. And granted, that was Soviet Russia, so it was completely different. And we're not going to turn into that. But what we would become is something. And then, you know, one of the other things we can pound is how and I'm sure the Democrats are going to do this, how Greg Abbott was begging for help from the pandemic that he ignored. And I I think voters just need to see along with what Democrats are doing, what Democrats want to take from us, because that scares us and it makes us angry. And I think if, if nothing else from this conversation that I would like to impart to you, that is the most important thing that I think the Democrats can do outside of every everything you've mentioned, the grassroots, the boots on the ground. Oh my God, yes. And I'm so grateful you're doing it. And I, I felt very heartened when you brought it up. Um, but I just, I wanted to to bring that up to you. I'm not going to read. I have, like I said, I have so many notes <laughs> and I have so many more comments from people, but I think we got the overall gist here. And I I really have to say that after listening to you, talking about what you guys are doing I do feel more confident and I agree with you that Democrats especially online voters have to be very careful even though I know there's people who are just still going to do what they're going to (laughs) do we have to be very careful about how we present and frame our own party because this is the most important election of our lifetime it really is and Kimberly I want you to know I, I this is another thing that I often tell the staff that DNC that elections are about contrast. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes. You are know, you're you making you're making a decision about you know these defined candidates that are on the ballot, and so in that in that mindset, then you got to make sure that you're committing malpractice on your side. Mm-hmm. If you don't put your positives up, mm-hmm. but you you sure as hell have to put the negatives up on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yes. and I think you're right on that. And Democrats have historically been reluctant yes you know that we, we we often just like to talk about all the good things that we're going to do but we've been very reluctant to define the other side but we have to do that yes. we have to frame them for who they who they are the republican party is a party built on fear and fascism and and, and it is as simple as that 
that they they don't believe in the rule of law they believe in power they believe in lawlessness uh and 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 that they are trying to scare people to the polls and so we got to call them out for mm-hmm. what they are trying to do what the 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 rights that they're trying to take away. I mean, think about it. They are attacking women's rights to control their own bodies. They're attacking voting rights in this country. They're even going after attacking the freedom to, to speak. I mean, they, they want to ban books. They want to do all yeah. of these other things. That sounds like Russia to me, not mm-hmm. the United States of America. Yes. And so we, we need to make sure, and they're turning a blind eye to attempted coups and mm-hmm. insurrection. Yeah. Right. So we have to call them out for who they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, these old days of, well, they, this is my colleague. And that was a different time. <laughs> yes. It was a different time. It was a different party. You know, you just need to, your friend has now been taken over by the mm-hmm. invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> and it, it is now some foreign alien. Right. who is saying and doing the craziest things. And we just have to understand that is our reality. And so we have to treat it as such. And so uh, I'm 100% where you are, that we cannot sit on the sidelines and just play nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got to define the Republican Party for, for who they are and the candidates that are running under that band. Well, that's awesome. And I'm just so grateful that you came on this show. I, talking to you has made me feel better. I hope it makes some of my listeners feel better. And you have this monumental task in front of you. Obviously, you know what you're doing. You're incredibly, I mean, you're a Yale graduate. I mean, hello. So <laughs> um, thank you for being on the show. Before I let you go, please tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, listen, folks, you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, you can go to Harrison Jamie, and Jamie is spelled like Jaime, J-A-I-M-E. So Harrison Jamie, uh, and that's that's my handle. Uh, you can also go to the at the Democrats, uh, that's the DNC or the at DNC War Room on Twitter. Um, but uh, you know we're constantly there. You got suggestions at all, folks? Will if you know me, uh, I'm on Twitter from time to time. I'm not. I can't answer every message and everything but i try to be as responsive as i possibly can uh again this is all of our party but we all got to chip in there is no uh captain america or thor yeah. or you know the black girl or somebody that's going to just come in and save save the country we we got to play that role yes. and that's every one of us um and so i'm thankful for all the support you all give the party Um, But I'm thankful to be in this fight for our democracy side by side with each and every one. Awesome. I just thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter, author Kimberly. Thank you, Chair Harrison. Such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. You take care of yourself and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.